good Tuesday evening. Welcome to another edition of the Sideline Junkies Tuesday Night Flight with a flavor of uh, DC Sports Rundown in it. It's me, it's me, it's the big guy, KG. <clears throat> Coming to you tonight, a uh, little under the weather, but hey, I'm here. Um, welcome to the most consistently consistent podcast. Uh, first and foremost, you know, we got to talk about this. We got to talk about DC sports as a whole. We're going to start with Georgetown men's basketball. Who's 0-1 right now, but they're up 38-29 over American University and another local school <clears throat> right now down at uh, Capital One. Uh, they're <clears throat> kicking off their season. Excuse me. They're kicking off their season. Uh, right about now and hopefully it's a successful season for Patrick Owens and the boys up there on the hill uh me myself being a Georgetown fan it's going to be big uh moving over to Maryland Maryland is what 3 and 0 ranked 20th uh they played Saturday beat Vermont 68-57 they got George Mason tomorrow night at uh uh, 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 dang, I, I gotta remember the day. I want to say Coldfield House, but it's not. It's at uh, Comcast Center tomorrow night. So they're balling. Then we're gonna switch over to professionals, and we got gotta say this: Washington Capitals haven't lost in how long? I think ten days. The cap since the Caps lost, it's been that long. They won on Sunday. Same the, the Caps. Wizards football team all won Sunday and Monday. How about that? Caps won six one over the hated Penguins because I can't stand the Penguins. I don't think Caps Nation can stand the Penguins. Balling out. Before that, on Friday, they beat the Blue Jackets four three. Blank the Red Wings on Thursday two nothing. Beat the Sabers last Monday five three. They haven't lost since November six when they lost to the Flyers. Two to one. It was the last time that they lost on the sixth. Today is the 16th. They haven't lost in 10 days. They come up tomorrow and they play the Ducks. And oh no, I'm sorry, tonight, 10 p.m. So they'll be dropping the puck in about mm, 18 minutes. And they play the Ducks out there in Anaheim. 10 days without a loss. And now the hottest team in the area, the hottest team in the area is those Washington Wizards. They don't play again till tomorrow down in Charlotte. They play the Hornets. But yesterday, 105-100 win over the Pelicans. Number one in the East, mind you. Saturday, they beat the, uh, the Magic, 104-92. Wednesday, 97-94 over the Cavs. Beat the defending champions last Sunday. 101-94. Beat the Grizzlies last Friday on the 5th. 115-87. Their last loss was on November 3rd against the Raptors, and that was a nine-point loss. This team is getting it done. They are balling. Yesterday against the Pelicans, uh, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, 18. Only eight from Kuzma, six from Gafford. Spencer Dinwiddie gave you 27. Holiday gave you 12. 
Advia gave you 11. Montrez Harrell gave you 15. And Advia had a double-double with 11 and 10 rebounds. Eight from Neto. Kispert and Gill didn't score. They got time but didn't score. This team is balling. And they're not at full strength. They still got to get Daniel uh, Daniel Gaffer. They still got to get Thomas Bryant back. They still got to get Hachimura back in the rotation. This is what this team should have been doing four years ago. They're doing it now with less talent. It'd be better if they did it with more talent, but hey, less is better because they are saving money. They're getting the job done. They are forced to be reckoned with. They are one of the hottest teams in the league. And I'm not even a Wizards fan. I'm a Wizards supporter. So I have to say this. I have to say this. These boys are for real. This might be the year that I get that 55 60 wins you know they jump out the gate if by all-star break they already got 40 wins then what i mean the sky's the limit west unsell jr is a different breed of coach he was you know on my short list when i saw uh the available candidates but here's my thing i looked at it and i said well this person's not going to come here and do anything. This person, I see, well, he's a legacy pick. I see them picking him. They could win with him. This is possible. I, I, but did I think they were going to come out this hot this early? No. I'd be lying to you if I told you. I, I, I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what, that's what it is. It's going to be this. The Wizards going to be hot. Now, I'd be lying to you if I told you that. But I don't, to be quite honest, the Wizards are a surprise to me. And it's a pleasant surprise as a wizard supporter um, living in the area. And you got to realize it's only been. Hmm. Let me see. We didn't have anything to cheer about in the 80s. In the 90s, uh, as as a Bullets fan, Bullets fans didn't have much to cheer about. But in this area, as far as basketball goes, college basketball dominates because of Georgetown. Uh, George Washington, George Mason, Maryland, um, Virginia Tech and Virginia, all of those, you know, all of those teams, college basketball dominated. But then you had those years where uh, the bullets were good. 96, Calvert Chaney, Rod Strickland, uh, Chris Webber, Jawan Howard, those teams were good. Uh, the big three era with Antoine James, Karan Butler and Gilbert Arenas was good. You know, John Wall era with Bradley Bill was good. You know, those were those were good teams. Those were good eras. They had spurts. But this Tommy Shepard era with uh, KCP, Kyle Kuzma. Kyle Kuzma is being who Big Jim always said he could be. Now, if I got to give anybody credit on, on, on Kuzma, it's Big Jim. Because Big Jim knew about Kuzma. And talked about how good he really was years ago. When we first started this podcast, Big Jim was talking about Kuz and what he could be. And damn it, Jim believed in him. And look at what you got. Same thing with KCP. Same thing with KCP. So I'm not, I'm surprised. But this right here, this is, it's a good feeling. Because DC Sports is alive and buzzing right now. Alive and freaking buzzing. And last but not least, this is the team that's bringing up the rear in the area, 
but they had a huge win. Huge win. Huge win, as Tony Kornheiser would say. We were able to celebrate Take Your Pants Off Monday. Victory Monday, you know. Washington football team, 29. Defending Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 19. The legend of Taylor Heineke grew on Sunday. Heineke, 26-32. Only six incompletions. Six incompletions. 256 and one touchdown. Antonio Gibson, 24 carries, workhorse. 64 yards, two touchdowns. Heineke rushed the ball three times for 15 yards. Patterson, four for seven. McKissick, two for four. DeAndre Carter even had a carry for four yards. Scary Terry, six for 59. DeAndre Carter, three catches, 56 yards in the TD. McKissick, four for 35. Ricky Seals-Jones, three for 30. Defensively, we 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 down the predator. We down uh, 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 Chase Young. It's been confirmed, and that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to wait to talk about this because I wanted good news. I really wanted good news, but Chase Young is done for the season, torn ACL. Um, sad to see the young fella go. Sad to see him go down like that. Uh. You know, we're going to keep pulling for him. And, you know, we're going we're gonna to keep him uplifted because he's a big part of this team in more ways than one. To see he didn't want to be carted off the field. He got up and he walked off with help, but he walked off. They put him on crutches. He came back onto the sidelines. Everybody went up to him. I think that was the rallying cry right there. That was the rallying cry. The defense played great. Jonathan Allen. Jonathan Allen has been an unsung hero on this defense, especially on that line. That You know, they always talk about, oh, four first-round picks on Washington's line. Four first-round picks. I get tired of hearing that. Yeah, I know we got first four round for, uh, four first-round picks. I know that. You don't have to rub that in our face every week, but they do. This week, two of the first-round picks went were out. Montez Sweat was out with a broken jaw. Chase Young went down with the ACL. Next man up. Jonathan Allen was back there in daggone uh, 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 Brady's face, hurrying the quarterback. They were playing ball. Like, really good ball. I mean, really good. Jamin Davis, six tackles. Cole Holcomb, five tackles. Cameron Curl, seven tackles. Kendall Fuller, six tackles. Um... William Jackson, the third, with the pick. Bobby McCain with a pick. You know, uh, no sacks, but they were hurrying Tom Brady something fierce, and I loved it. That final drive to ice the game, it was 23 to 19, and they were saying, well, if they, they, they take the time off this clock and they go and they put up the numbers, you know, a field goal kind of still leaves – Tampa Bay's offense in the driver's seat and they can do this and they can do that. And it was like, they were just counting them out. They said, well, Washington's going to get a field goal. Washington picked up a first down, another first down. I blinked two times. They in the end zone. Boom. That's it. You know, they iced the game that way. They iced the damn game. 
On the other side, Tom Brady, 23 of 34, 220 yards, uh, two touchdowns, two picks. Leonard Fournette, 11 for 47. Giovanni Bernard, one for four. Tom Brady even had two yards rushing. Shut down Mike Evans, who was one of their biggest weapons. No AB uh, Sunday. Mike Evans, two catches, 62 yards and a touchdown. Godwin, seven catches, 57 yards. Cameron Brake had one catch for six yards, and that was a touchdown catch. Uh, defensively, two sacks on Heineke. Um, who's this? This is uh, Devin White. I had to remember his name. Devin White had two sacks on Heineke. Uh, Nelson had one. Sue had one. So they sacked him five times. Tryon had one. You know, got to protect the little brother back there. Got to protect him. So we got to do a better job. But to come out of this game with a W, Nobody had us winning this game because I didn't even have this game picked. This was an upset special. So I didn't even have it picked to say, yeah, they got this game. Nah, had a feeling. But I was like, I don't want to jinx them in no way, shape, or form and say, hey, they're going to win this game and then they go out and lose. So big ups to DC Sports. Big ups to all the teams playing now, the Caps. The Wizards, hot, flaming hot. Hopefully for the football team, this is a spark that turns into an inferno. I'm not saying, you know, they're going to win nine down the stretch. It would be great to win nine down the stretch. This is one out of the nine. So it'll be eight and eight more. So that'll be 11 and six. That would give me the type of season that I long for and I've been longing for. You know, a lot of people get happy when Washington wins 10 games. I don't get happy. I think it's a run of the mill. I mean, what's the difference between 10 and 6 and 9 and 7, you know, before this season? One game. And sometimes that's playoff position. You know? 10 and 6 does not impress me. It does not impress me because I grew up watching the team that won 11 straight games in 91 before they lost one. And then gave away one to end of the season. So, you know, that was a, a potential a potential 15-1 season. But they gave away one because they had everything wrapped up. 14 and 2, 12-4, and four, uh, 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 you know, 13-3. That's what I'm used to. I don't get geeked up about 10 and 6. I don't get geeked up about 10 wins. 11 or more is a successful season to me. As you can see, we went 7-9 last year. And won a division. What is it? What did it mean? We played pretty damn decent on the way down the stretch, but also we had a weak division because of everything that was going on. Dak was out. The Giants suck. The Eagles suck. You see what I'm saying? It was a lot that went with that. I just I expect so much from my teams. And Washington is a team that I expect an awful lot from. I just don't give me 10 wins. Give me 11. Give me 11 or more. And they have the possibility to give me 11. I'm not going to say that they are. They have the possibility. Carolina's up next, one game at a time. Cam Newton's back. You got to stop that big oak tree. Because if you hit him, he's going to look over his shoulder. What is you doing? And he's trying to prove to the league that he back. He ain't never went nowhere. That's scary. But. Cam's back. We got to focus on Carolina. Great win Sunday, gentlemen.
Uh, Riverboat Ron coached a hell of a game. Del Rio coached a hell of a defense against one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. That is absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful how it went down. So, whew, I'm, 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 I'm done gushing about D.C. We ain't got a whole lot of time. Let's run on to this next topic. And, now, you know, we didn't get a chance to cover it last week. We covered so much. Didn't cover this. OBJ, Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, he was released from the Browns last year. Cleared waivers. Nobody picked him up, allowed to sign wherever he wanted. He wound up signing with the L.A. Rams. Friday, the L.A. Rams, and I, I said this, and I'm not ashamed that I said it. I said, you know, I, I, I did a whole whole topic on OBJ, and I, I had my, I have my own uh, thoughts of OBJ, and I, I don't make no apologies for what I say because it's my opinion. It's an unpopular opinion to people, and I've been back and forth with countless people. Now, here's my opinion, and I, I made this opinion back five days ago. And I said, OBJ is not an elite receiver, never has been. He's a diva with no memorable, memorable games, and he hasn't elevated a team to be better. T.O. was a diva, but he made Philly and Dallas better with his play. Chad Johnson was a diva, but he made the Bengals with, better with his play than without. OBJ is that one catch against Dallas. He hasn't had a big first down in the Super Bowl no great catches in the playoffs. No great performances to clinch a division title. He's run of the mill. He's a run of the mill wideout with whose antics overshadow how good, not great or elite, he is. But he and a few other players, NBA and NFL, have, have shown the next generation that if you want out of your contract, act like a child, sulk, and have your parents say mean things to the doo-doo head that makes you mad. But hell, what do I know? I'm just a guy sitting on a shitter with an opinion. That's my opinion. And I was actually shitting on the shitter when I made that opinion because OBJ gets upset. You played with Hall of Fame quarterback. And I, I pulled up the stats. I really did. And I said, you know, you, I'm not going to come off as half cock and say, okay, yeah, I'm just saying this just to say it. You know, like I'm hating. No, I came with facts. Odell Beckham Jr. Drafted in 20, what was that, 2014? 2014, he was drafted uh, first round 12th pick, okay? He came into the Giants. The Giants were had already won two Super Bowls at this time. He came in to kind of shore up this receiving quarter the Giants had. Now, mind you. The best receiver that Eli Manning had before OBJ was probably Plexico Burris. He had Plexico, Mario Manningham, uh, David Tyree with the phone, the, 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 the phone helmet catch, uh, Victor Cruz. Who else did he have? He's got he had Sterling Shepard. You know, he he had guys, but they weren't the guy. That's why they brought in OBJ. I went back and I looked at it from 2014 to 2018. He played with the Giants. Those first three seasons. 91 catches rookie year, 1305. 96 catches, 1450 second year. 101. 
1367, third year. In those three years, in order, 2014, 12 touchdowns, 15, 13 touchdowns, 16, 10 touchdowns. He hasn't reached that level of production since 2016. 2017, he only played six games. 12 games and 18. He played 15 out of 16 games. I'm sorry, he played 16 games. He started 15 in 2019. Seven games last year, six games this year. That production that he had those first three years, and everybody said, well, it's got to be injuries. You know, injuries, injuries, but you're playing with a Hall of Fame quarterback. When Eli wasn't that good, Eli is a Hall of Fame quarterback. It works hand in hand. A quarterback can make a receiver better, but a receiver can always also make a quarterback look better. So don't 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 put it all on Eli. He got to take some of that blame too. And I always go back to this one game with OBJ. And the one game I goes I go back to. I think it was 2018. It had to be because he it had to be last season with the Giants, and they were playing Philly. Giants versus Philly. I believe it was in. It was in New York, MetLife Stadium. Giants went down early, 14-0. Couldn't get nothing going. And Eli was trying, but that line was just garbage. It was, it was a high-class garbage. So that's why I say garbage. It was, it was no, make it even high class, high class, because you know they're professional players. So it was rubbish. Rubbish. Let's let's go with rubbish. They start moving the ball and everything, and then all of a sudden. He catches Odell with a nice deep post. Boom, touchdown. You know, he does the whole uh, 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 crawling on all fours, dog lifting his leg to piss on the pylon, flag. Okay, hit the extra point. You're down 14-7. Philly goes right back down quickly, scores again. It's 21-7, but here's the thing. OBJ's on the sideline, standing on the bench in front of the cameras, you know, doing all this little thing and pointing to his hands. He got ice water in his vein. Dog, you're down 21-7. He get back out there again. He catch another. He caught two quick touchdowns. Caught another one. He back on the bench again. He showing, you know, he's showing his tattoos and showing the gold, the grill and shit. And, you know, he doing all this stuff. The coach came over to him and said, hey, stop it. Stop it. No coach should have to tell you that. You're down. You're down. You went down 28-14. They eventually lost the game. You're, it got to the point that players got up off the bench and moved away from him when he started doing that. It was like a mass exodus. He came over to the bench, and he doing all that. The cameras on him. They clicking away because, you know, he's a story. He's a spectacle. And that's the thing. Your skill does not get you the recognition that you were getting once before. It's your antics. And the dude has hands out of this world. He can run routes. He is vicious. He could be elite. But what he does is he takes the antics to a higher level too far. And it overshadows everything good that he does. You can do nine things right, but that one thing you do wrong is the one thing that's going to dog you out for the rest of your career, the rest of your life sometimes. Everything else you've ever done right. 
And that's how it is with him. Because everybody, every time they show highlights of him, they show that one catch. Or they show him catching with one hand in practice. But he has no big catches. He has no big catches in, in big games and things like that. He played his first game with the Los Angeles Rams on Monday night. The Rams lose, which messed up a lot of money for the sideline junkies because we all had the Rams beating uh, the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, but Matt Stafford went out. He went down. Uh, but he took, he threw two picks in that game. OBJ, two catches, 18 yards. Now, I wasn't expecting him to be, you know, 10 catches and 210 and all that. No, I wasn't expecting that in his first game. You got to work a guy in. You got to learn the system, learn how they run their route tree. But I said this also in the post that I, I posted. this actually on Facebook, um, Sideline Junkies 24-7 page. OBJ went to the Rams. After they released Deshaun Jackson, he went to the Rams to be third fiddle behind Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. But Robert Woods got hurt Friday towards ACL. So you're still second fiddle to Cooper Cup if you want to be serious. Cooper Cup had 11 catches, 122 yards on Monday night. And he might even still be third fiddle, to be quite honest. The signing of OBJ. And everybody, I asked the question about a week or two ago. Did the uh, trade for Von Miller make the Rams the new hot team, the new number one contender to come out of the NFC? You go back and look at that game. Von Miller got served a pancake stack by George Kittle. He got served. You got served. And I San Francisco came to this game three and five. Everybody thought OBJ going out there was gonna make some type of difference. Be quite honest with you. I told I called it OBJ going to LA is not gonna help that offense. Let him get a taste, a, just a taste. Give him a give him a give him a teaspoon. No, nah, no, nah, you could give him a baby spoon of success. And then the antics are going to start back up. He was quiet in Cleveland until he got a little taste of success. Because him and Juice Landry was supposed to be, you know, it was supposed to be those LSU days. You got a good quarterback in Baker. Baker Mayfield's a pretty damn good quarterback. Didn't like him. But I, I had to look at his work ethic. I looked at how he played. He's a dick. He's an asshole. But as, an, as a fellow asshole, I really like the guy. I like how he plays. It, it's not all about getting you the ball. You got to spread the wealth. OBJ going to LA. They're going to spread the wealth. They got weapons. But give him a taste of success, a taste of a uh, good life. And what does success do? Success makes you the person that you really are. And the antics are going to start back up. You don't criticize. It's like a certain things you don't do in football. As a quarterback, you never criticize your offensive lineman. You never criticize the defense. You know, you may you may tell a running back you're going to hang your foot in his behind, show his inside some style. 
but you never criticize the guys that make you look good. You know? As a running back, you never criticize your O-line. You never tell them they could hold their blocks better and do this better. You never, you never critique your O-line. You know? Certain things you just don't do. As a receiver, you never dog your quarterback. For those of you that are video game fans, you've ever played Madden 10. Chris Collinsworth used to, quarterback throws a bad pass, overthrows him. He said, oh, man, the, quarter, the, the receiver's probably out there telling the DB, oh, this guy stinks. He's trash. He's worthless. And gets back to the huddle. Don't worry about it. We'll get it back next time. But he's not dogging his He's dogging his quarterback when his quarterback is out of earshot. But he's not dogging the quarterback to him, to his face. You see what I'm saying? There's certain things you just don't do. And we join by the one, the only, Midnight Rider. You breaking up there. Now, I think something's going on with my earbuds, bro. Let me call you right back. Let me try to get back in. Okay. All right. So, we we got we got OBJ. First game, he wasn't going to be lights out. Not at all. So, not worried about that. But here's my thing. OBJ is not a receiver that's a game changer. Yeah, I said it. He's not a game changer. He's not a he's not a uh I'ma turn this team around like point. When Tio went to uh Philadelphia, Philadelphia got better because that was the first legitimate receiver that uh, 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 Donovan McNabb ever had. That is the first legitimate receiver he's ever had. You know, you had your Todd Pinkstons and and, and, and James Gray. You had those guys. But then when you get a T.O. and you put him with a Freddie Mitchell, magic happened. What did T.O. have, 14 touchdowns that year? And if he wouldn't have got hurt, he would have had more? See what I'm saying? Randy Moss going to New England made New England better. Because that was the first elite receiver Tom Brady has ever had. See what I'm saying? OBJ can't do that. You put him in those two situations, those teams don't move. They still stay running the mill. We got the Midnight Rider back. What's going on, brother? Long time no here. Nah, bro. I think I'm still out, man. I hear you. You you, you sound good. Oh, then, damn. It's just not popping through my speakers, then. Nah, I, I hear you. It's fine. I'm going to just talk because I can't hear what I'm saying. So, it's all good. So, OBJ, I'm with you. I think ever since the one-hand catch up in against Dallas, he's been a little overrated. Um, but I also think the Rams have been overrated because sometimes it takes time for all these changes to work. You know what I'm saying? Like you got you got Leonard Floyd, you got Aaron Donald, you got Von Miller. And I think guys are a little bit out of position because they don't know how to play them. So I think that's really what's taking 
away from this this genesis or this this group of people coming together. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I get you. So I think it's I think it's gonna be more of a thing of patience and people trying to make do before anything else happens because um it's a collective and you know sometimes when you upset the apple cart it just don't roll right right away you know what i'm saying you gotta do some things you gotta adjust the weight and all that and i think that's what's gonna happen with the rams well i asked a question what was that two weeks ago about them being the hottest thing in the nfc because of the pickup of Von Miller. And, you know, they already got a pretty damn good defense. But after this flat showing that they showed Monday night, I, I'm starting to pull back on that. So, See, I mean, that's that's I get that. But I think what we're in right now is, like, everybody's trying to find their identity. And when you start adding new players and new people into the mix, you got to readjust your identity. Because I saw a couple times last night where Von Miller was in coverage dropping back. And that's not really Von Miller's thing. I saw them playing a lot of three-man line. And Von Miller and Leonard Floyd were the, were the fives. You know, they're the fifth, fourth and fifth guys on the line of scrimmage. So, which meant they had to drop in coverage. So, I think they got to adjust to these guys being available and then adjust their coverages. So. I think it's a time thing personally for those guys for that to work. But uh, I had a question for you. Uh, since you're a big whiz guy, 10 and 3. Well, actually, I'm sorry, you're a Bulls fan. But 10 exactly. and 3 is 10 and 4 Bulls? Yep. How you enjoying One basketball and- season, man? 1 and 2 in the Eastern Conference. I haven't sat down. And watched the Bulls game in quite some time. I took the time out last night and watched the Bulls game. Watched them in L.A. because it was a late game. And I got in late last night. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm about to wake the baby up. I'm about to wake all these kids up because I'm just like, let's go. My wife trying to go to sleep. She laying on me. She talking about, you can't move. You, I think you need to turn this game. No, I'm not turning this game. Well, Bulls on parade, baby. But I am loving – I'm loving the way – the Wiz are playing. I'm loving the way the Bulls are playing. The Balzac is balling out. I don't know what you want to call this uh, trifecta in D.C. We got to come up with a clever name for them. But they're not even at full strength. That's the scary part. Washington's not even at full strength. You still got Thomas Bryant coming back. You still have Hachimura that you got to work back in. They are not at full strength. And Bradley Bill didn't even play last night. Yeah, but I think... I'm almost more scared of them being at full strength than what they are right now because I think they have an identity right now. Like, their identity is Montrez Harold. I've never seen a guy come in and set a tone for a team like Montrez has for this team. Like, he's giving them grit. He's giving them rebounding. And I think he even makes it easy so if Gaffer gets in foul trouble, you can bring him in at any point in time, and he affects the ball game. I think he had a stretch of two games where he was 24 and 10, or maybe 16 and 10. So 
it's different from a Wiz fan standpoint. I, you know, I'm a Lakers guy, but I always want my home team to do well. And I think right now we're at a good point as DC sports fans, where you got the Caps on a nice run, you got the Wiz on a nice run, and then Washington's just trying to figure the the Skins football team, the Belters. They're just trying to figure their thing out. So I think we're in a place where we've never been before because it's just it's just fun. And you're at a point where it can go really good and then go really bad. But mm-hmm. everybody is hoping for the really good. Right. Because uh, BJ told me this is uh, 2019. This is pre-pandemic. It's a shame that we got we to gotta describe things that it's pre-pandemic. Right. When you had the Mystics win a championship. The Washington Valor won a championship. The Nationals won a championship. And I told him I want T-shirts printed up that says Title Town USA. He said, nope, you got to win more than one. I said, no, 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 no. If all the titles are in D.C., you got to give me Title Town USA. And it made me optimistic for D.C. sports. I was even optimistic in the 2019 for the uh, Washington Wizards. To win 50 games. And I still owe BJ. I know he listened. I still owe him uh, lunch for that and dinner from the year before for the 60 game prediction. So there's so much that I had optimism about, but I wanted my title town USA shirts because we had three titles in one year. And in the year before that, we had the daggone caps win. So that's four titles in two years. Yeah, but you got to have more than that. I mean, it's got to be – I think title town doesn't come until you get the, the major uh, – you got to have more than one in the majors. And that's no offense to the WNBA. It's no offense to um, anything else that's going on. You just got to have – you got to have that level of the of the major three sports. You mean the big four? Because NHL, MLB, NFL, NBA right, is your right, major right, four. Right, right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. And we had so, two out of four. Right. So, so, and then if you don't mind me being the guy to ask a bunch of questions, but right now you're at a point where MLB's in a window where they're starting to sign players. Is there somebody for the Nats that you think they have to sign? To, to make this team legit going forward? Like, is there a pitcher? Is there is there an outfielder? Like, what do they do to become legit? Because they have to do something. Yeah, they you do. Status quo. Uh, they have pitching. Well, they had pitching. But every time pitching prospects come through, they work out for two or three seasons and they're done. Uh, well, how long are they going to go with Strasburg? How long are you going to keep rolling with Strasburg? Well, That's you, have to, you have to let Strasburg go. I mean, not go, but you have to let him play because he's your, no matter what, he's your ace. No matter mm-hmm. how you look at this, there's nobody better than him in this organization. Um, but you keep question, bringing people in. Not, but here's the thing. So Noah Syndergaard signs today with the Angels, right? Um, we got you have Corbin, you have Strasburg. So your next question has become do you get a third guy 
to bring into this group and make them legitimate? Or are you going to go with a kid like Kay Cavalli, who's kind of shown his ways in the minors, and you make him a, maybe a four, and you go with Joe Ross and something else? Like, I think, I think the question is going to be how much money does management want to spend for this team to be good? You gotta open up. You gotta open up the pocketbooks because number one, you need a, you need a, a bat. You need a couple bats. That's going. So, you know, you, you need your Pedro Serrano, but he can actually hit a curveball. Yeah. <laughs> you, so 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 I'm glad you said that. So my guy right now, um, I wasn't on this bus two years ago, but Danny Ruye from 106.7 has put me on the bus. Nick Castellanos has got to be the guy. If it's not him, then you got to resign Schwarber. Like, you need a guy that can just hit, flat out hit. Um, put him behind or put him in front of Soto because you don't have Trey Turner setting the table. Um, Luis Garcia scares me because he likes the big play and he doesn't make the regular play. So, I don't know if he can be your second baseman. Do you add a shortstop because, you know, um, are you really going to invest in Alcides Escobar? Then you got third base with Keyboom. Keyboom hits 208 and eight home runs. Like, like, there's a lot of questions this team has to answer, and they have to do it in a short period of time. And I think what's happening right now is a lot of teams are making signings now before the new collective bargaining agreement comes out because that might be more advantageous to the players um, than they think. Mm. Well, we need uh, CBAs in all four sports because a lot of things is going wrong. But uh, well, NFL's tied up for the well, next eight years, I think. Yeah, that is true. They did just sign a CBA, but NBA's is coming up and MLB's is coming up. I just hope they just get through it. No strikes, please, no lockouts. But and for the for the uh the nationals, like I gotta I gotta see what what do they have down in the minors? Do they have so, any prospects down? Because that's where they need to start at. They need to start so, bringing guys to the system and bring that farm system up to par. New York Yankees ninety style. Well, all right. So that that's that's. That's the worst example of a, a window of prospects. Wait, wait, wait. Why is it? Ninety style. You, I mean, you, I know you, you had Bernie Williams. I know you had Derek Jeter. I get what you had. But wait, wait, any, wait, 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 wait. Let, let me stop you real quick. When you call his name, you got to say it right. The greatest shortstop. You talking about to ever play the game? No, no, no. The greatest shortstop to ever play the game, Derek Sanderson. Jeter from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Thank you very much. That's, that's never going to happen. You can't. You can't win that argument with me ever in life. Um, shit, I, I, at this point, you you make me say I take Cal Ripken over Derek Jeter, but I won't now, see, do that. Wait, wait. Now my godmother was an Oriole fan. She also, she always told me she said I, I I did everything right to raise you right, but then you became a Yankee fan. And I don't know what I did wrong to make you become a Yankee fan. And she <laughs> she would always tell me, you know. What is it about the Yankees? And I said, Derek Sanderson Jeter. And she would always say, Kyle Rick. And I said, when Kyle moved over to third, Derek Sanderson Jeter took over as the greatest shortstop in baseball. And she would well, never Kyle, argue back. 
But Kyle was never the shortstop then. Because then it was Kyle was that guy, man. He was my guy. The 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 one of the best teams I've ever seen in baseball, and this is truly because of my dad raising me in in his thought process was the St. Louis Cardinals in the eighties, from eighty three to about eighty eight, when they had Tom Hurst second base, Ozzy Smith at short, you had Willie McGee, Vince Coleman, and I forget the other outfielder's name, but they were a team built on speed on that turf. And they ran, and no matter what you did, you could you could be the Minnesota Twins, you could be whomever you wanted when you came in there. But Bruce Suter and company was locking y'all down, and this offense was just going to run on you, going first to third or first to home, and that's just how they were built. Like they, you could never take that team and put them in any other timeline, mainly because of the turf and them be as successful as they were. So not to be an old school dude, but like that St. Louis Cardinals team was was dynamic in its era. So we're going to go back to the Nats. So the Nats, <laughs> what I think they have to do. So you got Soto. You got to figure out center field. I think this kid, the Logan kid that came over from the St. Louis deal, um, I think you got to have to figure out him and Robles in some kind of deal. Like Half and half, or I mean, if it's not a platoon, like whoever wins the job in in the all season is the guy, and you move on from the other person, and you try to find what you can get for the other guy. Left field or right field, depending on how you play, Juan has to be either a guy like Castellanos because he's going to hit the ball. I, at this point, normally I'm a big defensive outfield guy, but I'll take the sacrifice and get a guy that can hit because you need somebody to hit behind Soto or around Soto. Infield, um, you got Josh Bell at first. Hopefully, he continues to hit well. Second, I think it's going to be Luis Garcia's deal, but I'm not completely sold on that because the kid has these plays where one play he's he's um, Ozzie Smith, the next play he's Chuck Knobloch for the Yankees when he can't throw the ball to first. So that scares me on a whole different level. And I'm glad you know what exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, um, believe me, I do. Shortstop is the spot where there's a lot of guys available. So if you can work some things or figure it out, I mean, it's not going to be a career kind of guy. Maybe you take a chance on story and he finds what he is or he used to be in Colorado. Uh, because of his athleticism, or maybe you find, I mean, it's not going to be a Simeon. It's its not going to be a Seager because I think Seager's going to want more money. So that's where that question comes into play. And then third comes into play just because Carter Keeboom can't hit his body weight. And, and like, I personally would love Chris Bryant in that spot, but I don't know if they want to spend Chris Bryant kind of money. And then Chris Bryant might have lived this time out in San Francisco, so I don't know if that's going to just take him off the market completely. But I think you're going to see a lot of guys in these next two weeks sign now because they know in baseball the, when the money ain't good, the money ain't good. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? They'll 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 squash you out in a heartbeat. You know, like the last two years, free agency has been a joke because if you don't if you're not in the top tier, 
you getting pittance, you know, you got to sign a one year deal and try to figure it out as opposed to getting a decent long term deal right now. So that's going to be the equation right now. And um, Mike Wilbon said one of the greatest lines about the collective bargaining agreements ever. He said that owners go out, they hire a bunch of guys to set a bunch of rules about how the offseason is going to go. And then after those bunch of guys set the rules, they find themselves another bunch of guys that's going to find loopholes in all the rules that were set up so they can get over. One of the greatest Wilbon quotes ever, and one of the only things I'll give him credit for, but that's 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 it. Well, I personally love Will Bond to death because I I grew up reading him and Tony Kornheiser for years, and I am still to this day a loyal little. Uh, but I need I need you to answer something before I move to this last topic. Go ahead. What was, what was wrong with the Yankees farm system in the nineties? You look at the, the players that they produced. No, no, no. All right, so 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 the Yankees farm system in the nineties wasn't bad. What I'm trying to what I'm saying is. No one profited from their farm system more than the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves brought up Jermaine Dye, Tony Tarasco, Chipper Jones, Ryan Colesco. Um, I can keep naming guys, but these guys, if they didn't play in Atlanta, they end up becoming prospects for something more. And that's one of the things I loved about the Nat system early on when you turned um, the kid Lopez – um, the kid Giolito, and I forget the third piece in that trade. Oh, um, Dane Dunning, and you turn that into Adam Eaton. Yeah, Adam Eaton wasn't dominant, but Adam Eaton became a piece and a part of the process to get you a championship. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, so sometimes these things aren't always a binary yes or no. It's always sometimes it's always a thing of what do you get from it? So you traded Jesus Lazardo um, to Oakland and you picked up um, Doolittle. You know what I'm saying? You got rid of Blake Tronin for somebody, for um, the other cat they got from Oakland. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. So it's the real key to these farm systems is not exactly always the result of them playing for you. Sometimes it's what you get from those guys and which we come afterwards. So that's the key, and that's the kicker. Now, the only problem I've always had with the Nats farm system is they can't develop corner infielders or outfield, I mean infielders. So so their best infield prospect um, was a cat they drafted out of Miami, and he played maybe one year in Baltimore and did nothing after that. You know, you got Carter Keyboom who's giving you – 208 and three home runs or nine home runs in his career. Um, so that's the place where they've struggled is developing corner infielders and corner outfielders, not named Juan Soto. You can't okay, develop okay. Bryce Harper because <laughs> Bryce Harper is the guy that was on the magazine at 16 years old. So you can't count him in the process. Hmm. What could have been, but it seemed like once he left, that's when the magic happened. So it's, it's, it's always a thing of sometimes the greatest addition is by subtraction. I agree with that. 
I, I mean, I think honestly, if if we want to bring it to the football level, I think the biggest addition to the Redskins or the football team has been Landon Collins playing the the Buffalo linebacker and not being involved in the deeper part of the coverage system. Like it just because now he's up closer and when he misses a tackle because he's going to miss a tackle. It, it it doesn't have the same effect because there are guys behind him that can rally up and make the play. And I thought Sunday was the best I've seen this team going back to their roots of gang tackling and being up on a per, on on the field. So I'm not calling playoffs, but I think this team has a chance to make some moves that can affect their season going forward. But the first key is actually playing like a team that's responsible and is mature, as Ron says, and they take care of business Sunday against Carolina Panthers. Agreed. You hear that, BJ? They can they can they can make a move. You hear that, BJ? <laughs> and I actually said to a guy, my coworker last week, I was like, the most Washington football team thing they could ever do this weekend is beat the Buccaneers. Mm-hmm. Cause they do that. They beat that team that they ain't supposed to beat. But then like a 0-7 St. Louis Rams team can come to town and they'll lose 13-10 to them. So now they have to be responsible. What do they say? What's the word with great um with great power comes great responsibility. There it is. There it is. And that's what they have to do now is they have to take this power and this moment and be responsible with it. And I think Ron's been putting that bug in their ear all year. Like he made a comment and I'm not going to go too far off this tangent, but he made a comment a few weeks ago where he said seven and nine might not have been the best thing, but he was saying that from the standpoint of, I don't know if these guys are responsible enough to handle the expectations that come from you winning the division. He didn't say, oh, I didn't want to be 7-9. I don't want to win the division. He just said, I don't know if the guys in this room are mature enough to handle this responsibility. And a guy I used to coach with had this great saying is, Sometimes you jokers can't handle prosperity. It's one of my favorite quotes, but it's the truth. Like sometimes teams can't handle prosperity because they bask in the glory of the week before or the game before and don't take care of the next game. And that's the momentum. There it is. And I think that's where we're going to learn a lot this weekend on how this team performs. I agree wholeheartedly. Because, you know, it's Tuesday right now, mm-hmm. but the game was Sunday. You bask in the glory Sunday night, Monday. Today you get back to work and start preparing for Carolina. What you did Sunday means nothing. Now it's well, on to Carolina. Victory. They had a victory Monday, so they're, tomorrow's their start of their week. Yeah. yeah this if they didn't the start today, I mean, no, I, I would have started today. No, you can't because you gave them – so more and, most of the time, Monday is light workouts. And sometimes a little walkthrough or a little something. Tuesday is the day they get off. And then Wednesday, we go in the game plan. Nah. So with a victory Monday, you give them Monday and Tuesday, like, somewhat off. 
give them Monday somewhat off, and Tuesday is their day because Terry said he was in there lifting weights on Monday. So, you know, Monday's kind of like a you do you day, mm-hmm. and then Tuesday's off, and then you go into work on Wednesday. See, my thing is, I guess players wouldn't want to play for me. I give you Monday off, but Tuesday we at least doing some film. I don't, we can do it on Zoom or whatever. We're gonna do some film study on Tuesday. We ain't got to do nothing physical. We're gonna no, sit around and we're gonna do some film. But you're doing film on Monday, so that's the difference. Like Monday isn't completely off. It's just you can do a little film, you do this, and then you go back on Wednesday. It's like the famous um you're a big B Mitch fan. You know um Andy Reid has a quote when they were playing when he was in Philly. And he's like, you know, you see you guys on Wednesday. At this point in the season, you can't work guys at the level you were working them earlier, especially with a 17th game. So you got to give them some freedoms to get them to the finish line. I know you're a hard-nosed guy. You're a dog walker guy. So Neanderthal Nation all the way, baby. I'd rather recruit a guy – if I recruit a guy and he lived in a four bedroom house and he had his own room and and, and he went to the private prep school and he was the, the, the player of the year, I don't want him. I want the guy that lived in a one bedroom apartment with nine siblings and one bathroom. The guy that yeah. know how to get it out the mud. That's yeah, the guy that I want. That sometimes that guy needs a needs a day off. Like you gotta like like the one thing I love about this fan base and I love and I laugh about is like they don't take player maintenance into effect. Like, you got to let these guys – I know as much as everybody loves Joe Jackson Gibbs, but Joe Jackson Gibbs managed the players as well in this process. Yeah, he had them doing two-a-days. He had them going heavy in pads. But when he got late in the season, he gave them some breaks because, like – my man said to um, Maximus, he was like, and sometimes you got to win Rome. You got to win the mob. It's not about who you defeat in the circle. It's you got to win Rome for them to love you. And that's what I think Joe Jackson Gibbs is great at is he learned how to win Rome. He learned how to win his team over. So every day, even though he beat them down sometimes early, he gave them breaks. And I think that's the part that people don't understand is you get your breaks. Andy Reid, see you on Wednesday. That's your break. But I expect you to be coming on Wednesday ready to prepare and be ready for this thing. And I think that's what Ron did this week. He gave them a break because they've been struggling. And this team needed a day off or two days off just to to kind of feel what they're in right now. You're in playoff mode, if not the next three weeks, three weeks from now, the second week of December, when you start playing the NFC East, that's your playoffs. Mm-hmm. You got to figure this out. You got to get this team to a point where we're going to either – we're going to fold or we're going to excel. So you got three games, and hopefully they go two and one, but that's not the issue right now I had. If they can get through that and put themselves in position, now you got five weeks where it's all on you. And I think that's one of the things that Ron does well 
is he he tries to position them to a point where it's nobody's fault but yours if you don't succeed. You can't come back to me and say, hey, coach, you didn't help us out. Nah. At week week 11 or week 12, we were – this was our record. You got five games against division opponents. Make it happen. I can agree with that. I can agree with it. I love it. I love the optimism. I love all of it. Yeah, hey, man. So, but let's jump on this last topic before we go. Scotty Pippen. And we're going to talk about it a little bit, oh, and then we're going to jump off. But we really going to uh, – fuck it. Let's do it. Let's do it real quick. Scotty Pippen has had a lot to say about the last dance. MJ, his time with the Bulls. Um, one of the quotes that I heard him say was, he's just as good as Michael Jordan, and Michael treated us like compliment pieces. As a big Chicago Bulls fan, this right here is a shock. All these years have went by, and Scotty feels like this. After the last dance, when Michael got paid $10 million and uh, we got paid nothing, we just did a supporting case. But here's my thing. Kendrick Perkins said it best. If you didn't tell them straight up, no, I'm not doing this unless I get paid to, that's on you. And I don't like Kendrick Perkins, but I agree with that. I agree with that. Never, If you're good at something, never do it for free. That's A. So. And I'm going to give you B. Um, and I'm going to need your help because I don't know how the order goes. But there's a great line in the Temptations movie where um, I think it's David Ruffin tells Otis that nobody comes to see Otis. Mm-hmm. They coming to see the Temptations. <laughs> ain't nobody coming to see you, Otis. You wish right, so you could work it the way that Scotty. I do. Ain't nobody coming to see Scotty. They coming to see Mike. Ain't ain't nowhere on the posters does it say, I want to be like Scotty. Well, that's true. Now, in oh, his so. book, he says uh, that Michael Jordan ruined the game of basketball. Here's the excerpt. Ooh. Ooh. I may go as far to say Mike ruined basketball. In the 80s on the playgrounds, you'd have everyone moving the ball around, passing to help the team. That stopped in the 90s. Kids wanted to be like Mike. Well, Mike didn't want to pass, didn't want to rebound, or defend the best player. He wanted everything done for him. That's why I've always believed LeBron James is the greatest player this game has ever seen. He does everything and embodies what the game is truly about. Charles Barkley came back. And because um, he also took a shot at Charles Barkley, what he said about Charles Barkley and the Rockets, that was old news. He said that, uh, shoot, I think that was maybe about 10, 15 years ago. And he was like, Charles need to get his lazy butt in the gym. He wasn't dedicated enough. Um, but Barkley said, Scotty's trying to sell books. I don't think he's worried about relationships down the line and friendships down the line. I think he's trying to sell books. And it wouldn't surprise me if he told Michael, look, I'm trying to sell this book. I'm going to capitalize off of the last dance. I'm going to do it after that. Come out, say all these things, sell these books, get this money up. And I don't think Mike's going to be like, I don't think that's even on his radar because he wouldn't care. But he's, you know, I'm not going. If we sat down and we had a conversation about that, yes. But just to put my boy out there like that, who helped me when I was in financial trouble. And I was broke in debt who helped me get my Nike contract. 
I don't think I, I mean, I'm just, I guess I'm, 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 I'm loyal to a certain extent. And I, I said it earlier, you know who your, 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 your true people are when you have nothing, you're at the bottom and well, you're lower than the bottom. Cause you got to look up to see the bottom. But when you look up, you got those people reaching out their hands to pull you up. Cause Scotty was in debt a few years ago. It was Michael that helped him out of debt, helped him out. You know, the things he says on TV, uh, especially how to defend James Harden. I love it because it's the truth. When James Harden get off the bus, start defend him. You defend him 94 feet. And you don't let him walk you to his sweet spot and then lull you to sleep. You defend him as soon as he gets the ball. What he said about LeBron James, he said me and Grant Hill was doing that long before LeBron hit the lead. And that's the truth. This whole thing about Michael ruining the game of basketball. I don't agree with it. I see what he's saying, but I don't think it ruined the game of basketball. Now, what I can tell you did ruin the game of basketball. Everybody trying to be like Steph. You got guys pulling up from the logo, shooting air balls on, you know, within five seconds of the shot clock. That's what's ruining basketball. Nobody looks at how much Steph has hit the gym to practice doing that. Guys roll out of bed, don't take up, you know, as many shots. To try to do that type type stuff. That's what's ruining the game. So, guys, this is I, I feel like I've been set up. Like you talked to my boy, and you heard one of my arguments with him. So I feel that Mike did have Mike the volume score created issues in the game because everybody be trying to become a volume score, and thus. That copycat version has um, become a blueprint, and now everybody's copycatting the Stephs and the Dame Lillards of the world, and now they're trying to shoot every three and everything. And also the problem is that because basketball has become so analytical, that we're playing basketball outside in and not inside out as the game was intended to be played. Like there are, I, I think there are three story arcs that have kind of put basketball in the places in right now. Um, a trying to be like Mike, and that's that's also because you know I'm a Magic fan, so I'm a little biased. But B, I think the fact that players went to a point where they took 20, 30 shots in a game, and I don't know if I remember that being our stat stat line as, as kids or as guys watching basketball. So that becomes the issue. And then now the issue is if you look at an NBA stat book now, and I'm going to try to be as concise as I can be on this, but um, the number of three-pointers taken, I think it exceeds the number of just regular field goals taken. Like the number of two points taken. And I've said this before. I know I said it here, but I said it somewhere else before that like the league and the analytics are going to get to a place where 65% of the shots taken in this league are going to be threes because that's the point of diminishing returns because we're so analytical. So diminishing returns happens at 65%. That's when it becomes a point of 
there's no reward for you taking these shots. So think about that as a whole and the basketball you're going to end up watching. Like you're going to end up watching teams where if they take 100 shots, 65 of them are going to be three-pointers. Are you ready for that? No. <laughs> not at you all. That's not, a, like, that's not a great game to me. Right, but, I mean, we, we teach basketball differently now. You know, like, I mean, from a from the standpoint of coaching basketball, you you got guys playing in leagues where the coach either never played, he's somebody's dad, or he got the most money, and he's the coach of the team. So he's not really teaching basketball or teaching fundamentals. He's just trying to get this team to get through this tournament this weekend. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm, I've never been a big fan of AU, the new version, but that's the problem. That's part of the problem of the game we have going forward is, like, we're doing so much kowtowing and catering to bad athletes or guys that don't play ball well that, yeah, everybody gets a little attention. That's one thing I don't – and anybody that's ever listened to the show, BJ can can tell you, I hate AAU basketball. I refuse to let my son play AAU basketball because he's not going to learn the game. And my sons are in love with the game because of well, sitting around and watching the game. Well, but I have not- to As uh-huh. a in – this, in this era, you have to let your sons play this game even in an AAU level. But because you're in the house, you have to become the teacher and not not the fan. So there's a session where um, as a coach, or not as a coach, as a parent, you have to figure out the switch. There's a switch where you're the parent and you're just watching your kid and adoring them, doing things for themselves. But then there's the point where you have to become the teacher and you teach your kids the right way to do things. Like, you don't let TikTok, Facebook teach your kids how to be kids and how to be men. You teach them how to do that. So you have to enforce that on a basketball level is you have to let them be in the moment of what their generation operates as. But you also have to be dad and let them know this is what basketball is. And this is how you should play basketball. Not to be preachy, but that's the truth right now. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I do. Like now, that's now, not what it is. This Scottie Pippen thing and him yeah. saying Michael ruined the game. Here's my thing. Born in the 80s, grew up in the 80s and the 90s. Of course, the like Mike campaign, I'm big Bulls fan. But the thing is, I tell anybody. My favorite player of all time is Magic Johnson. But I had a choice to be a Lakers fan or a Bulls fan. And I chose the Bulls in 89 because I hated the Pistons so much. But as I got older, I understood the Pistons. So when I came into my basketball identity during, you know, mid-90s and, uh, uh, you know, really growing up, especially in high school. Huh? I said, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I like that choice of terms. Oh, basketball identity? Yes, that's, yes, yeah. that's, that's because I had to find my game. And the thing is, playing with family, uh, playing with BJ and Delonte, uh, playing with the, the guys from work, the Fantastic Five, 
we it, it's different. I, every every stop it took on a different role, but I was always the Dennis Rodman type. I would do the dirty work. I'll play the paint. I'm going to rebound. I'm going out. Don't worry about me because if I take it, my first three shots are not really good and I don't feel comfortable about it. Okay, don't worry about it. I'm in the paint all day long. I get my rebounds, put the ball back. I'm not kicking it back out and putting it right back up unless we need it. I'm putting it right back up and we're going to score. I never, I, high volume shooting, nah. I'll jump over somebody and tip it in. And in a, in a, <laughs> in a, in a, in a different world in a different time, I would, I could jump over somebody and actually dunk on them. I ain't doing that now because I got to think about, hey, I got to come down. So, you know, no ride them cowboy dunks from me. But that's, these, these are that's the things. You say what? That's who you are. You are, see, so for, like the thing I admire about you, KG, is you are a John Thompson guy through and through to the end of time. Like the only time John Thompson ever stood outside of his identity was for two players. It was for Victor Page and Allen Iverson. Those are the only two guys that I've ever seen John kind of kowtow or let their talents be for who they are. Everything else was you. if you were Gene Smith, if you was Michael Jackson, if you was Joey Brown, if you was Mark Tillman, if you was Robert Churchwell, it was all about the Georgetown system. But there were two times where he knew he had excellent scores and they stood outside of themselves or he stood outside of the Georgetown principles and let them be. So when you talk basketball, and the reason I can understand you is because you're a guy that understands who you are and your limitations. Some players can't be honest with themselves about who they are. That's the hardest part about basketball. That's the hardest part about sports is, like, you got to look in the mirror some days and be like, look, I'm not the dominant guy that I think I am. I'm not the guy that shoots 28 times and I can go nine for 28 and the team's okay with it. That's Allen Iverson. That's that's not Harold Miner. You know what I'm saying? Absolute truth. Absolute truth. You know, that's 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 maybe a stuff, but it's not um what's my man? That's not a uh, um Clarkson. Right. You know so so like the biggest thing and the biggest difference, so where I struggle with the argument is because I'm not a big Mike fan. So I get where Mike ruined the game. But I don't think he – I think he just changed mentalities. He didn't ruin the game. And everybody – and one of the greatest scorers I've ever seen in my lifetime, not named Michael Jordan and not named Larry Joe Bird, is the cat out of Camden, New Jersey, Um. The what's what's the Juan's name? Um, oh, his name just his last name just slipped my mind. He played at Kentucky when he got to the league, he had the kidney disease and all that stuff. But he dropped like 62 as a as a high school sophomore. You ain't talking about Sean Elliott, are you? No, no, no Sean no. Elliott didn't go to Kentucky. Where did Sean Elliott go? Who, who is no, you talking no, about? No, no, it's oh, his dad played in the league. And he ended up at Kentucky. His dad went to Louisville. Oh man, I'm gonna get you next time on that. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tag you in the post. 
Because I'm I, not talking about DeJuan Wagner. His dad, Milt Wagner. DeJuan Wagner is one of the best scorers I've ever seen. His only issue was his kidneys gave out to him on him when he was um, coming back. I swear yeah, to goodness, he, dog. Went to Memphis. He, he went to Memphis. That's what it was. It wasn't Louisville. Okay, Kentucky. Yeah. DeJuan Wagner was a walking bucket. And he was in that Allen Iverson, Michael Jordan volume score phase. And yeah. It's just one of those things when like certain guys are volume scorers, but not everybody. It's just like everybody might may want to be, you know, the lead singer of the Jackson Five, like Mike, but everybody can't be like Michael Jackson. Sometimes you gotta be Tito. Sometimes you gotta be Tito. Give me the tissue. <laughs> Stop laughing at me, Tito. Give me some tissue. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and see, me personally, and this is me talking about me. I know what I'm what I'm capable of. I know what I can do. And you know, it's been a two-year layoff due to due to the pandemic. But I know before the two-year layoff, I knew okay, yeah, I could bring the ball up court. And it was more of a uh uh, a Draymond Green style where I could bring the ball up court and set the offense. But I knew that when that ball came into the post, no, I was in a black hole, but because I could create, you know, passing because I seen things. I was trained, brought up as a point guard. Nobody knew I was going to be 6'4". You know, no, my, my parents didn't know that, but my cousins taught me how to be the point guard because I had to distribute for everybody else. Now, I still take that even playing the four and the five. I don't want to be a stretch four. I want to be on the block. That's where I want to be. See, I know that. And I try to instill that in my oldest son. He I he was telling me about dominating with kids his age. And, and you know, this is like 15, a couple years ago. And I said, okay, end of that. Come on, you're going to the gym with me. And I put him out there with grown men. He's flying up and down the court after like the first two games. He cat was coming down, was piking on everybody. He caught a steal. Dario chasing down and blocked his dunk. And I was like, that's my kid that did that. He had enough heart to jump up there and block a dunk and st- didn't get banged on. Mm-hmm. Proud of it. But the thing is, he hustled. And, you know, they wouldn't let him play with me. And I was like, nah. I was like, but the thing is, if I'm not, if he's not going to play with me, y'all better beat him up. Beat him up bad. Yeah. And they would get to him and he would still score. He never complained, nothing. And But you got so many kids. And I had a... Uh, Young cat come out and play with us one time. And he was getting, he thought he could handle me on a block. And I kept putting the shoulder in his chest and scoring right over him. You can't do that. I can't do what? I said, you're on my court. We play 90s rules around here. So you be Chris Dudley, I'll be Shaq. Right. So I'm I'm putting shoulder in his chest every time. He caught me with a nice little elbow to the ribs. I said, okay. I said, I got a little meat on my ribs. So I ain't worried about that. But when I caught him, he doubled over. And he caught me with a little elbow to the mouth. By accident, he was, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please, please, please. I said, dog, it's a part of the game. But when you get on that court and you get back out there and you playing high school ball and you playing AAU, don't let no, don't you tell nobody you sorry. You go out there and you give it your all. Like, we beat him up bad, too. Because the thing is, if you don't get that, 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 that grown man punishing when you 15, 16 years old and you playing against people, you're you going to feel, you're going to go through life thinking everybody owes you something. You're going to think you're better than what you are. But then when you get to college, same thing I tell every kid, you could be the best in the neighborhood. 
best in middle school, best in high school. But when you get to college, everybody in that college arena, out of the 20 guys they have, because you know you're going to have five walk-ons, but 15 of those guys are the best in their high school, their middle school, and their neighborhood too. Mm-hmm. And it's probably one of those guys are the best in the country. So you got to think about that. You got to up your level every, every, you know, every level. You got to rise to the occasion and rise above it. I don't agree with Scotty saying what he said about MJ because I think about it. When you talk about that and Mike changed the Yeah, Mike did change the game. But what about Dominique Wilkins? Dominique Wilkins didn't pass very often. Dominique Wilkins said it himself. He said, I would take a shot. No one is a bad shot and I was going to miss. But I would take a bad shot, miss, get the rebound to take a better shot. But you're telling me that that didn't ruin the game? That didn't mess up the game? So so that's being said from, you got to remember that, again, everything is perspective. So if you're going to criticize a player, you got to criticize his legacy or what he's put on the game. So obviously, me as a person that wasn't a Jordan fan, my argument is Jordan ruined the game because I have to take away from his legacy, take away from who he is in order to prove my point. So I think that's where the Jordan ruined the game, Steph ruined the game comes from is you got to create arguments. Like you're never going to convince me that Steph Curry is the greatest shooter of my lifetime because I seen Larry Joe Bird. So I don't, care what Steph do. I don't care what Steph do. I seen Larry Joe Bird. You know what I'm saying? Until Steph scores 48 against the Atlanta Hawks with his left hand, you can't tell me nothing about him being one of the greatest shooters ever. But, you know, people are uh, people are attacking that now. Oh, he didn't really score all those points with his left hand. He used his right hand. He only scored like 20 with his left. What? Okay. He scored 20. So tell Steph scored 20 with his left for me. You know yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, and I'm not talking about layups, I'm talking about jumpers. So it's like I think we're the way and, and this is this is not a detriment, but I think sports arguments become more about proving your point than always stating facts. So proving your point is you gotta demean the other guy, you gotta take away from the other person what they're doing to make your point, to make it work. That's the head-to-head. It's not so much the Wilbon Kornheiser, but it's more of the Skip Bayless versus Stephen A. It's the Skip Bayless versus Shannon Sharp version of our arguments these days. And that's where we're at. We're at that point where sometimes you got to put the other person down to make your point make sense. So so you're not going to always respect everything that Mike did because you got to prove a point. You know what I'm saying? Like saying Mike is the greatest is not going to give you ratings because you got to gotta move the needle. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You yeah. got to make the money. You know what I'm saying? Money talks and hookers walk. Mm. So, you know, that's, that's what it is. And I think that's all it is right now is these guys are, we're in a sports argument center where it's all about sometimes bashing the other guy to make the other guy look good. And you don't always have to do that. And I well, think Scotty, Scotty's thing is, I don't, I don't understand Scotty, but you said it right earlier. You said he got a book coming out. So if, with a book coming out, 
That means scared money. You can't be scared to to put people under the bus. So he probably got that joint in reverse, and all you hearing is beep, 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 and Scotty go at it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that's and that's the crazy part because you know Mike got his, but Scotty didn't negotiate himself uh, uh, some money out of this whole process of doing the last dance. So now he might be a little bitter. And then you also you gotta understand that Scotty's wife out here, you know, I mean, she belongs to the streets now. So um nothing <laughs> personal. And I'll say allegedly, just so that way, you know, nobody gets offended by what I'm saying, but like he going through a divorce and it's messy, it's dirty. And you know, he gotta find some things to to cover up some holes and cover some places where, you know, maybe he had money coming in and with a wife. He had to worry about it, but then we now he gotta pay alimony. Maybe he gotta pay this. So Scotty gotta be a businessman. And sometimes these conversations and these arguments aren't personal, it's business. Mm. I gotta sell this book. This book ain't gonna sell with me saying I love MJ every day, all day. Cause ain't nobody gonna buy that. But hey, it's always business, never pleasure. Always, yeah. But remember this, controversy creates cash. One Eric Bischoff has proven that. Yeah. So, look, we got to get up out of here. We already had an hour 25. My uh, bad. Late. My no, bad no, no, no. This, this was needed because I have been, I should have got on and did this earlier, but I was so tired. I'm still tired. Uh, Going to relax for the rest of the night, chill out. But this right here, this. We need to get together and we got to put some things together for Thursday. But if you are free Thursday, please, please, please come and sit in your chair. Because, of course, we can always go for hours. Right. But we you come and plop down in your chair, man. And, and we just we just go. Let's let, let's just go on Thursday. Hopefully the boss BJ is free Thursday and we can just roll around and just go. But uh, right, yo, just, just shoot me a time. I, I'm going to try to make myself available, man, because. I gotta get back, man. So yeah, it's something. Most definitely, because we gotta we yeah, gotta we talk. Gotta, we gotta have some other conversations outside of this conversation about some other conversations. And yeah. I'll say it that way convolutedly. <laughs> we got some conversations that might have to be had about conversations. That's all I'm gonna say. That's I all I'm allowed to say due to the rules of my of my contract. <laughs> I can dig that. That's the midnight rider. I'm the big guy, KG. For the rest of the sideline junkies, all on special assignment tonight. I can't say we don't do no overtime, but hey, we did it. It was enjoyable, but we out of here. Peace.